From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. This May, Governor Ron DeSantis signed SB 264, a law that restricts Chinese nationals from acquiring property in the state of Florida under the guise of protecting national security. But the issue is actually pretty clear. Chinese people are not the Chinese government, and conflating the two is just the latest iteration of anti-Asian land laws and anti-Asian discrimination that date as far back as the 1880s. Rather than protecting national security, this law will actually shatter the dreams of Chinese families, students, and business owners hoping to build a life in the Sunshine State. So we at the ACLU, along with our partners, are suing Florida over SB 264, arguing in Shen versus Simpson that the law legitimizes and expands housing discrimination against people of Asian descent and therefore violates both the Constitution and the Fair Housing Act. Joining us today to discuss this case are Bethany Lee, legal director of the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, and one of our co-consuls in the case, and Echo King, an immigration lawyer and co-founder of the Florida Asian Americans Justice Alliance, a group that is rallying the support of Floridians against this kind of discrimination. Bethany, Echo, welcome to At Liberty. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having me. So SB 264 has been in effect in Florida since July. In the broadest sense, this law severely restricts many immigrants from China, Cuba, Venezuela, Syria, Iran, Russia, and North Korea from buying property in much of the state. This is bad from the get-go. But what's even worse is that notably, these restrictions and criminal penalties are harsher for people from China. So Bethany, I'm wondering if you can just start us off by giving us an overview of what SB 264 entails and what it prohibits. Sure. As you mentioned, SB 264 in some sense has two different categories. One that focuses on uh, foreign countries of concern uh, that includes China, another category that focuses specifically on China. And it's the category that focuses specifically on China that we are most concerned with, given the draconian penalties and restrictions that are imposed on Chinese nationals. First, it prevents Chinese nationals, people who are so-called domiciled in China, from buying real property. And there are certain restrictions on uh, 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 close to military installations, for example. And then there's also registration requirements that if Chinese people already have certain property, by a certain date, they they need to register with the state. And if you don't do some of these things, if you don't do any of these things, there are criminal penalties. Yeah. So as you just outlined, the majority of these restrictions apply to immigrants who seek home or property ownership. But there's also a component about real estate professionals and sellers. What does the bill say about them? That's right. There's an affidavit requirement that says that they have to affirm that they have not violated the law. And if they have violated the law, then they're subject to criminal penalties, uh, misdemeanor in addition to a thousand dollar fine. Yeah, I think that's extremely notable because if you if you think about there being kind of two mechanisms, one being just the inaccessibility of 
people from China to buy property, but also this like uh, this punishment mechanism on the other side of someone someone knowingly selling property to Chinese people being criminalized. I, I imagine that that would yield a real chilling effect in um, and and actually kind of emphasize or elevate anti-Asian discrimination more broadly. I think that's absolutely true. I think the fact that this applies to real estate transactions across the board and anytime anyone who looks vaguely Asian walks into a real estate agency, what is that real estate agent then supposed to do? Are they then supposed to ask for a passport from anyone who looks vaguely Asian? What does that mean? Also, what is that doing to essentially everyday people, are we asking them to discriminate based on national origin in their day-to-day? That's almost what the law seems to require as a practical matter. Everybody's caught into this because everybody could be sellers. And uh, they because the sellers there, they don't, uh, you know, they don't know who to sell it to. They just know that there's a law, SB 264, because on the contract there, at the bottom of the contract says, SB mentioned about the foreign countries of concern is SB 264, but it didn't really clearly define all the terms. The ambiguity of the terms like domicile, what does domicile exactly mean? Who is restricted and which area is restricted? It's never defined anywhere. So when people, it's regular, this ordinary seller, when they see this, they just know, oh, China is one of that. And then I will face criminal penalty if I if I do something wrong. We have a home builder uh, talking about this and they they said they, are, they're, they don't know where to build a house for our, our group of people and their sales agent, they are uncomfortable asking people like, where are you from? Or you have green card, right? Because they, they know that's uh, probably a Fair Housing Act violation. But in the meantime, if they don't ask, then they may violate SB 264. It's a mess. And also the uh, and the affidavit part of it, uh, Bethany uh, mentioned affidavit, that doesn't come until the end of the, when it's closing, come to closing, then the title company is drafting up their own affidavits. So there's no uniform affidavit for people to sign. And then the home builders put this burden on the buyer to determine if you are actually restricted category. So the ordinary buyer, they have no idea, they have no knowledge if I am supposed to buy this house or not, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. Echo, I'm wondering when you first heard about SB 264 and you heard about these kind of enforcement mechanisms and the criminalizing of real estate professionals who might sell to someone who is from China, what what did that bring up for you? Well, when we first heard about this bill that was April of this year, I couldn't believe it because... I thought it's fake that people are circulating fake, you know, like fake uh, things. So, but I read it three times and then realized this is, and I also went to the website, Florida State uh, Legislature website. And then I saw that uh, was, I was completely shocked uh, because I, at, before that in uh, February, I went to, I attended, there's a Zoom meeting 
for Texas alien uh, landfill that's similar, but it was much, it's not as severe. And at that time, I thought it was already really bad. But then I never thought that, never imagined something like this would happen in Florida. And when I heard about that, it's already passed the uh, Senate unanimously. It's It was bipartisan bills <laughs> passed unanimously. So and at that time, we were, our whole community was completely shocked. We didn't know what to do. We couldn't believe it. We went testify, we protested, uh, nothing worked. And it still passed the uh, legislator very fast. In like two weeks, it just passed and became law. And after that, we felt the actual impact. It's not imagining uh, things, what, what could happen, right? It's actually happening daily basis. So we just had a Zoom meeting. We invited home buyers, uh, you know, real estate uh, agents, home builders uh, to talk about this, uh, what, how they really felt. I mean, this law, just like uh, Bethany was uh, talking about the punishment provision, the criminal penalty, the confusion. Pe- basically, mm-hmm. not only home buyers, Chinese buyers, Chinese people are facing the discrimination. It's everybody in the state of Florida are potentially uh, facing this. I want to pull out what you a theme that you both have mentioned, which is that there has been a lot of confusion. Um, and I think usually when we see confusion in an enforcement of, of laws, it's usually uh, an intentional uh way to um, create an even harsher impact um, because if people don't know if it applies to them, then they might act more conservatively and they might discriminate more. You know, we see this across the board in all different kinds of lawmaking, any kind of vague, broad language, um, language that is not easy to parse through that lawyers even have a hard time understanding, um, let alone individuals who are just seeking to buy a home or seeking to sell a home. Um, I want to move back a little bit and just talk about, so SB 264 is actually part of a three bill package along with SB 846 and SB 258. These bills were meant to, quote, counteract the malign influence of the Chinese Communist Party in the state of Florida. And upon assigning the bill, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said, I'm proud to sign this legislation to stop the purchase of our farmland and land near our military bases and critical infrastructure by Chinese agents. Why do you think that the Chinese community is being singled out compared to those from other countries that the bill references? I do think politicians on both sides of the aisle are getting bonus points Mm -hmm. for any anti-China rhetoric and anti-China push they can they can display. And that, unfortunately, is part of the history of the way the United States has reacted when any foreign country poses some sort of threat, real or not. And in this situation, what I would say is that it's actually more that uh, elected officials seem afraid of China as an economic threat, but there's these trumped up concerns about national security. So both of you mentioned that this is bipartisan, that even some Democrats have kind of signed on and Echo, you mentioned that you originally heard of this kind of law when you were on a Zoom recording about something that was going on in Texas. So alien land laws as a broader category are actually like somewhere in process or on the books in 
over 30 states. And so this isn't necessarily just solely Florida, those, though Florida's is very punitive and um, I think of, of real increased concern to us. But I think it, I think it is worth discussing why there is this kind of trend um, that we're seeing across the country. And, and I think perhaps there's, uh, you know, I'd like to believe that, that some of this is misunderstanding or just misguided um, folks who are responding to fear-mongering or, or other things. But I, I do want to address that kind of quote-unquote concern, if you will, you know, you mentioned that this tough on China rhetoric and policy has really gained popularity. How do you respond to this concern? And and why do you think it's such a temptation for both parties, people on both sides of the aisle to, to fall to this kind of rhetoric? I think it's easy and helpful for them politically, unfortunately, to cast someone as an enemy. And uh, in this particular instance, what we're seeing is increased rhetoric against China because we have these themes about China becoming this emerging superpower that's competing with the U.S.'s, uh, you know, power for many years. And and I, I, uh, I think politicians find it easy to blame another country for the issues that uh, we are not actually dealing with ourselves in this country. Mm. Echo, what about you? Yeah, I uh, I agree. I agree. When uh, in fact that this national security issues and all this are much more sophisticated than just uh, you know restricting someone buying a house. They I think people all know that the legislators know that too. But because of they are using national security um, as as an excuse, and uh, you know they get a. People's people actually support that because if you, um, everybody, almost on the same page that you know China is an enemy, they all agree on that. And I, I think in fact that this should be on a national level, not be addressed on the state at all. The state doesn't have resource to determine all the espionage and national security those issues. Mm. It's also I think bears mentioning that like. Chinese people are not the Chinese government. Um, so even if that were the quote-unquote concern, whether or not we we believe it's of a real concern, um, a bill that targets individuals from China is, is perhaps not even very effective because there's no evidence that Chinese buyers of property in Florida are agents of the Chinese Communist Party or have caused harm to national security. Um, and, you know, my understanding is the state of Florida has failed to even identify any nexus between real estate ownership by Chinese citizens in general and any kind of purported harm to national security. So, it, I, you know, like, is the evidence even there, really? There's no connection between Chinese people be equaling the, China, you know, the communist government. And I mean, I think, unfortunately, this is another example of Asian Americans being equated to the foreign policy kind of issues in the country of which either they or maybe their families and ancestors, right, originally came from. And I mean, we saw this with the Japanese incarceration during World War II, where Japanese individuals who had nothing to do with the war were still incarcerated. And so um, 
a lot of this is really based on this very unfortunate stereotype of the of Asian Americans as the as the perpetual foreigner. We could be born here, we could have lived here for generations, um, and still, if I'm Chinese American, I'm still equated with the Chinese government. I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think it is true. And I think we see this across all different aspects of American life. Um, Anti-Asian discrimination doesn't it just exist within the confines of alien land laws. And, you know, I think we've um, all seen that and specifically the rise of anti-Asian hate um, that has come out of the last few years, I think, has only serving to to feel this. I also want to address one other concern that I think, you know, could potentially be making this more of a susceptible argument to foment in the, you know, general public or, or across party lines. Um, it's a very tough time to be a prospective homeowner for many people. Owning property feels wholly inaccessible. We're seeing a trend in major cities where wealthy immigrants are buying investment properties, leading to disdain um, and concern about rising housing prices. I think it's hard sometimes for people to be sympathetic when they're focused on their own economic well-being. How would you explain this issue to people in that camp? We are talking about uh, the in Florida uh, for Chinese land ownership or uh, real estate purchase is less than 0.1%. So this is not really uh, we bought, you know, Chinese Americans, Chinese uh, immigrants bought the house or how many we we bring up the uh, uh, prices. And that's not an issue at all. And uh, we are talking about that people here living here, working here, saving up their money uh, to buy, uh, even buy a starter house, startup house. It's not even allowed is because they like H-1B visas, right? The other day in a Zoom meeting, we have uh, several H-1B visa holders talk about their uh, personal story. They study hard and they find, finally find a job, get a job and start a family. Uh, you know, they save up years to work, to, to, to purchase this house. It's not like a wealthy uh, immigrants that they're talking about. And Really, it's not, those two issues are not related at all. And then they, they shouldn't be treated, we shouldn't be uh, treated like, I mean, the, um, I think that's the, another stereotype or they, they're trying to um, conflate. Exactly, conflate. Yeah, no, I think, Echo, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, it also bears mentioning that even the Chinese population in, in Florida is actually like insanely small, but also the, the property purchasing percentage was, as I think, really notable. Like that has no bearing on this issue. And that's actually not what we're talking about. But I think that people can easily conflate those two things. And this is actually against the Constitution. It's actually against the Fair Housing Act to discriminate against a group of people seeking to purchase property. Um, so it's like, it kind of doesn't matter even if people are worried about their own economic well-being because it's actually against civil rights and civil liberties. Bethany, I see the wheels turning in your head. Yeah, I I just thinking about your earlier question, and I would add that I think there is, uh, you know, there there are concerns even from Asian American communities about uh, people coming into low income neighborhoods and, you know, kind of speculating and buying property. And I think there is that perception that Asian Americans and um, um, Asians from other countries coming in are super rich because that 
you know, unfortunately plays on another stereotype um, in the Asian American community about us being the model minority and being very wealthy and very smart when that's actually a wrong stereotype, right? And uh, that stereotype is actually quite harmful for us. I think there's a, a large um, a large percentage of people um, who are small property owners mm-hmm. um, who kind of don't play into this stereotype of all Asians being super uber wealthy. Yes, that are impacted by this law. Yeah, it seems like a lot of what is going into fuel any kind of popularity for these kinds of laws is just rife with stereotypes, um, and then perhaps just a lack of. Um, real interrogation of, uh, okay, these these kind of false premises that are in a lot of ways, probably, as we mentioned, being, being, being fed to people by politicians um, to score political points because it's easy to, um, it's like an easy play for them. Uh, I really appreciate just us taking a moment to address kind of the misconceptions because I think it's really important in order to uh, just build public education and knowledge and awareness on on this issue. I also want to talk about the fact that it's a civil liberties and civil rights issue. And I'm wondering, Bethany, if you could speak a little bit to that. Sure. So the alien land law in Florida violates the Constitution in a variety of ways. First is the equal protection violation, and that is because the law uh, discriminates based on national origin and alienage. And so, I mean, we've seen this in a variety of other contexts. This is uh, certainly true uh, with SB 264. And also... um, there is also preemption concerns, right? The funny thing about what's happening in Florida is that with this law is that Florida is almost treating itself as its own little fiefdom country, right? And saying, we get to we get to regulate and deal with national security and we get to figure out um, and decide who gets to stay out of the state of Florida. And the United States doesn't matter if you have this whole set of, <laughs> you know, this whole infrastructure set up around this area. Um, we get to decide. And then there are just fair housing concerns, right? You're not supposed to be able to discriminate in housing based on race, alienage, and national origin. And, you know, for the variety of reasons that we've talked about, uh, that is already happening. And there are even broader concerns um, in terms of um, broad impact on not just the Chinese American community, but also the Asian American community. You talked about um, you talked about the rise in anti-Asian violence earlier, and that is part of the concern in terms of the type of racial animus that this type of bill and all of the rhetoric that's been associated with trying to get this bill passed into law has stoked, right? Because you can't, on the one hand, as a government, say you're against anti-Asian violence and trying to support the Asian American community in fighting against these individual assaults and incidents, while on the other hand, casting us as an enemy. I just want to share an example uh, 
we have a, a House representative. Her name is Anna Skamani. She's very supportive of our uh, fight and our cause. She posted something on her Facebook um, social media about this bill, uh, you know, saying this is, this is how bad this uh, discriminatory this bill is. And some people made comments on on under uh, the uh, her posting saying that why do you support our enemy? And also when I say something, I try to explain this bill and somebody um, send a private message to me saying that go home. Uh, so this is mm. uh, actually really scary. If this kind of law really passes, I really think this, uh, I'm fearful for our Asian Americans, also fearful for the children. I don't know this kind of people. I mean, this group of type of people, what do they, what they will say to their children? And, you know, so... So it's it's the whole, just like Bethany has mentioned, this type of law definitely will make the Asian hate, uh, you know, uh, crimes will go go up, increase Asian hate crimes. I'm really glad that you mentioned that echo, and I think it's really important to talk about the the kind of broad impact and the seepage that we will see from not just the di- immediate discrimination of people being unable to access homeownership. Um, but also just this like broader soup that we are creating in the state of Florida um, that will only contribute to the anti-Asian um, discrimination and um, the rise in anti-Asian hate. According to a survey from the Asian American Foundation this year, one in two Asian Americans report feeling unsafe in the U.S. due to their ethnicity. And nearly 80% say they don't feel fully like they belong or are accepted. On the other hand, 79% of Americans do not believe people of Chinese descent living in America pose a threat to the U.S. I think that that's really important to mention, that there is like this gross discrepancy. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that it will make you feel unsafe, um, because I think that's really important for people to understand. Um, and we've been here before. I think we've kind of touched on this. Bethany, you mentioned, um, you know, we can talk about Japanese Americans incarceration during World War II, the Chinese Exclusion Act, the surveillance of South Asians in the post 9-11 period. All of this is very reminiscent of our history. What do you think we need to do here, Echo, moving forward to make, to, to start to start unraveling um, some of this, the issue that 80% of Asian Americans say they don't feel like they fully belong or accepted. How do we start to chip away at that? And how is this case part of that? Well, first we have to stop this kind of law from passing, right? Because this is legalized hate. At the beginning, like when we had the COVID, you know, China virus, uh, that is just, uh, as people are saying it, but now it's legalized. So definitely that's the first thing we need to stop that, to stop this kind of law. And also I think uh, we should educate the people like general public that we are here we are Chinese people don't equal Chinese government. That's really not true. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We are not the enemy because we come here because we like everything here better because we believe in a democracy, we believe in all the rights. That's what we come here for. And now you treat us as the enemy. So that's not right. Uh, doesn't make sense even. So um, those are the education. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the key. Uh, so 
it's just a lots of work to do in my uh we have this AAPI group uh we ch- a uh, chat group and uh, lots of people are uh, expressing concerns and trying to you know thinking about moving out of the state um you know but uh, I think this is Florida is the worst in terms of this but then I think the overall uh it feels like the it's the trend that the China, especially when China-U.S. tension um, increases, and I, I, we are fearful, truly fearful. It, it just looks like the history mm-hmm. is really uh, repeating itself, and you know. So we, we we truly hope that we can we can stop this. We really need to stop it. We do, and I I really um, I thought that what you said about legalizing hate was so clear. And so profound, like that we're actually empowering in a lot of ways people to hate other people. Part of uh, ameliorating this issue is the the lawsuit. That's a, a component. I think the other component is understanding where this comes from and understanding the history. Um, why is it so important that we understand where we have been in this country in our exclusionary discriminatory policies towards Asian Americans more broadly in order to effectively uh, prevent this from happening again? I think that blocking access to history and what has actually happened in this country is is problematic for understanding how we should be moving forward, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's exactly what we're seeing with things like book bans. Um, that's exactly what also we're happening seeing when, in Florida. Yeah, I, exactly. I think that's exactly what we're seeing when we talk about this fight for um, eth- in ethnic studies curriculum and K to twelve and in higher education, um, because ultimately, if we are not being race conscious and paying attention to what it means to be interacting um, in the society because of our race, because that's the reality of what's happening, then it's impossible for us to actually understand why something like Florida's new alien land law uh, has actually passed, right? Because, I mean, what I would say about the law is that I think, unfortunately, it's more of a symptom of um, of the structures that are baked in to um to you know our, our different government systems legislatures institutions and so um so it's in some sense well I think it's surprising actually that a uh, hundred years after the original alien land laws that we actually haven't progressed as a country and we're enacting new alien land laws right Florida actually was the last state to repeal its alien land law in 2018 and uh, here we have a new one in 2023. So it it's both surprising and not surprising, right? Because we think with the civil rights movement and all that has progressed in the society that uh, that we wouldn't return to what Echo is saying is a, a state-sponsored violence, legalized um, discrimination, right? Yeah, absolutely. Echo, in hearing about the law in... You, you've responded, and I know that you founded the Florida Asian Americans Justice Alliance earlier this year. Can you tell us about um, the movement of people that are against this law and, and what it has been like to join hands with other folks who are impacted and allies and really 
take to the streets on this? Yeah, we uh, that I'm I'm a I mean I lived in U.S. for twenty years, right? And then I'm an attorney, but I never envisioned myself to get involved in politics. Uh, just like many, just like all the uh, many uh, Asian American f- first generation immigrants, I just uh, focus on my career, family, you know. Until this, I heard about this law in April, and uh, many of my community people are same like me. They uh, we just we always work hard and just focus on ourselves and our family. We just really stay quiet, right? To just we don't really try to cause any trouble. We just comply with the law. That's all we're trying to do. Raise family and children. But then this law that, that says that Chinese people are Section 7 is so blatantly just, uh, you cannot be, you know, this is a racist. But even we we don't want to just like Bethany say, we don't want to look through, uh, you know, racial lenses, but this is racial. Re- this is a racist. So many of us, uh, we feel we tried to talk, we were shocked and we tried to talk to legislators, but then, you know, we we feel like we were not being heard. So we feel powerless, um, you know, and sometimes hopeless. Uh, but then we still feel, remain hopeful because I I, I believe that we still live in, uh, America is still supposed to be the best country in the world. And we come here because of that hope that we have that, you know, the hope that we have, the American dream and beacon of hope, all those concepts we believe in. That's why we are here. And I think we, uh, through our uh, fight, we have struggled, but through our fight, we should be able to um, get better. Uh, and I just want to, my community people know that, you know, we, we really, as Asian American, we're fast growing uh, population minority in, in U.S. right now and really need to uh, be aware, uh, get engaged and be aware of the surroundings and just, uh, you know, wake up. This is a wake up call and we, sh- we must stand united and just, uh, you know, not only focusing on ourselves, we cannot stay quiet anymore. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's been a really big moment for you in your life to say like, I'm actually going to lace, I'm going to like take this on and this is necessary. And it's awesome to see what um, you've been able to achieve by rallying people together on this issue. Bethany, where are we in the lawsuit process? Um, What's the, you know, you mentioned that we're making kind of like what legal precedents we're using to argue this case. How are you feeling about about the development of, of the case itself and its chances in court? So we're at the 11th Circuit. We had asked for, the plaintiffs have asked for a preliminary injunction that was denied by mm-hmm. the district court and we, the plaintiffs are appealing that. And so, I mean, it's very clear that this law is discriminatory and that it violates the Constitution, that it violates the Fair Housing Act. Um, it's unfortunate that the judge um, previously determined, among other things, that, you know, saying that um, this law applies to people who are domiciled mm-hmm. in China, for example, uh, doesn't equate to national origin dis- uh, discrimination, which doesn't actually make much sense when you think about the fact that 99% of the people in China are Chinese, right? (laughs) And so um, uh, we're very hopeful that the 11th Circuit 
will understand how blatantly discriminatory this law is. As we wrap up here, I just want to say I appreciate you both talking about this fight against the bill and addressing the tension around the issue. You know, you've articulated kind of where we are in the case and kind of what we're what we're hoping to see from here. When folks are listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I want to support, um, I want to support against the, the movement against these laws. What can folks do if they're, they're wanting to kind of join forces? Yes, uh, this is a really uh, challenging. We have so many challenges to fight against this bill uh, because we are, you know, we have really limited uh manpower and resources and we are trying to take turn uh overturn this law uh you know it, it's a long fight but then we hope that more people can join us join Fadia and support us and uh help us to navigate we are still trying to navigate uh we are our own lobbyists we are own we are doing everything our own because uh, we uh we still you know we we don't have any other support yet so uh and we don't have uh, enough resources to hire lobbyists to to do anything like that. But um, we just uh, still remain hopeful that, you know, we can, little by little, we do our Zoom meeting, we educate our legislators. <laughs> Where can people go to, to follow your work? Uh, we have a website, faja.org, uh, so people can join us as members, so we can do uh, more works together and uh, hope. People can also donate to our to our cause, and also I'm very. I want to say uh, we are very grateful and thankful for uh, what uh, you guys have been doing. The lawsuit is a tremendous help. I mean, uh, we didn't know where to who to turn to, and uh, uh, when uh, Bethany reached out to me, and uh, you know, uh, Clay reached out to me, and that 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 was a uh, what a re- is huge relief, and we just uh, hope that you know. We will win the fight. Absolutely. And Bethany, what do you want to add? I think there are these types of laws that equate to institutionalized violence against Asian Americans. But I also think that there's the day-to-day harassment um, that happens, right? So when we talk about the hate violence that has increased against Asian Americans, the majority of that violence is actually harassment, right? It's not kind of the the, the big... Um, uh, crimes that are blown up on TV that we see, right? But it's actually, uh, it, it's actually, for example, my daughter going to school and having one of her classmates say ching chong ching to her and her not knowing how to respond to that, but recognizing that it's racist, right? So what does it mean for that public school system to respond to that type of incident? What does it mean for that school system to be educating students about our histories um, and the multiracial uh, democracy that we live in, right? Like what, like, and, and because it, it's, it's, it's actually dependent on that kind of day-to-day education, um, and political consciousness raising that we don't end up with, with this type of law in the future. Thank you so much for that, Bethany. I really appreciate you sharing that story and both of you just really deeply appreciate you joining me and, and helping to unpack this issue for folks. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And um, I just feel so 
hopeful knowing that I have that we have both of the two of you on this issue. So thank you. Thank you so much. We're excited to see you at the next rally that Faja organizes. <laughs> there you there you go. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us, having me, and we hope that we can win the fight. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. At Liberty is a production of the ACLU, produced by me, Kendall Seesmeyer, and Vanessa Handy. This episode was edited by Matt Boynton. Julia Silva-Forbes is our intern. Until next week, stay strong. Stay strong.